Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to the afternoon show. I'm glad we've arrived at the afternoon. Here we are. It's Friday. I hope your week has been great. I've been uh, looking forward all week to uh, speak to my friend uh, Alex McFarlane. He's going to be joining the program in just a minute. But I do have my Bible open in the book of Ephesians chapter 4 verses 17 to 19 says this. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in their futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. Dr. Alex McFarland is my guest. He is an author, an apologist. He is a um, kind of does it all. He's an author and speaker and host of Truth to a New Generation uh, uh, as well. So, Alec, welcome back to the show. Well, hi, Bill. Uh, Good afternoon, and thanks for having me. So nice to hear your voice once again. Uh, You know, I love that passage out of Ephesians, and I love that it ends up that they indulge in every kind of impurity and they are full of greed. I wonder if people ever recognize that they're a greedy person. Does anyone ever come to you and say, boy, I'm really struggling with my greed? You know, I, I've never had that. <laughs> I um, I've had a, a lot of, you know, traveling, preaching. Um, we evangelists do a thing called an altar call, and uh, we ask people to come to the altar and pray. And as a pastor and evangelist, I've had a lot of people, you know, seek prayer for help for a lot of things. Bill, you know, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 references, it's a fascinating phrase, the sin which so easily besets us. And the idea is like getting your, your feet tangled up in a vine. Like it, let's say you're walking through the woods and you get tangled up in some thorns or a vine, you trip and fall. And there there are sins. I think we all have kind of an, a, a spiritual Achilles heel. The, the thing that tempts one person may not be a temptation to some other person. And I think it takes the Holy Spirit for us to be honest with ourselves and admit you know, hey, this is a weak point for me. Lord, I need your help. Um, and the Bible does call us to, I mean believers, I'm talking about born-again believers. We've got to be pretty vigilant to confess our sins, turn from sin, and cleave to Christ. Mm-hmm. When I think of some of uh, habitual sins, and, and I think of things that can come up like anger or lust, jealousy, mm-hmm. pride, uh, hatred, and, and these um, like you say in this wonderful blog you've written on alexmcfarland.com, the effects eventually and invariably will be visible to others. Yeah. And, and you know, the worst thing, I mean, when we give ourselves a pass on sin, uh, the worst thing is I think we can become desensitized to it. You know, the voice of the Holy Spirit, um, we need to heed the, the promptings of the, the Holy Spirit the minute we, you know, feel them or, or discern them. And and again, just to, you know, I know this is probably pretty basic, but Christianity is kind of a, a two-sided coin. I mean, there's salvation, 
and uh, you are born again. The Bible uses words like born again, redeemed, converted, saved. Okay, positionally we are in Christ when you accept Jesus and you're, you're saved. But then there's not only sonship, but there's fellowship. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, Bill, we often use 1 John 1, 9 in evangelism. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1, 9, we, we often use that in evangelism, but really that's written to believers. Um, and you say, whoa, wait a minute, confessing sin, forsaking sin, being forgiven? Yeah, believers can sin. Now, think about a parent and a child. Um, sometimes the child pleases the parent. Sometimes the child disappoints the parent. Sometimes the child you know, can flagrantly disobey the parent, but they're still that person's child. Why? Because they were born into the family. We are still God's children if we've been born again, but uh, for a, a spirit-filled, spirit-led Christian, you know, when we know something that we're doing is displeasing to God, we are we are to forsake it and turn from it. And deep down, Bill, don't you think we do know? I mean, we often we kind of dance around and we legitimize. But look, I, I really think the right thing to do is rarely a mystery. If we've got <laughs> so true. I mean, really, if if we've got sin in our life, we know it, and we mm-hmm. try to legitimize and rationalize. But for the the Christian who's got carnality, and as Hebrews twelve one and two says, that besetting sin, um, we're to turn away from it and proceed on in our growth in Christ. Mm-hmm. Alex, we're likely to drift into sin, but we're not likely to drift into holiness, are we? That That's brilliant. Say that again, Bill. That That is profound. Well, we're likely to drift into sin, but we're not likely to drift into holiness. I think uh, holiness is something you very intentionally uh, do. Yeah, you're right. That that is I've heard you say many profound things, but that might be the the top. <laughs> um, you know, I've got a friend a, a Christian friend who's an attorney and a, a great brother in Christ and he just kind of one day said something that I thought was just brilliant. He said it was the cross of Jesus that gets us into the kingdom, but it's the cross of discipleship that gets the kingdom into us. Oh, I love that. And I thought that was brilliant. You know, in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, I die daily. Now, you mentioned holiness. Nowadays, you don't hear that word a lot. But in in times past, holiness was a, a real priority to a lot of the church because we are, you know, we, we have this assignment to grow in conformity to the image of Jesus. Now, salvation is a free gift. We don't earn it. Uh, we don't have to, you know, try to get God to love us more. God loves us, and we receive this gift of salvation. But Christian growth, um, it, it does take intentionality. You, you are so right. We don't. We we may drift into sin, but we don't drift into holiness. So there's got to be. If you're going to grow and mature in the Lord, there's got to be some intentionality. And do you know? Let me just say this. Um, Several years ago, my wife and I decided we were going to have devotions, you know, and read a devotional, and, you know, whether it's Open Windows or Our Daily Bread or, you know, Streams in the Desert, we've mm-hmm. been through a number of devotional books. And I will tell you, at the beginning, because, you know, the mornings are busy, 
I'm not going to say it was drudgery, but I, I really had to discipline myself. Look, we are going to have devotions, and we're going to read that scripture, read that devotional, and pray together. Now it's gotten to where, I mean, my day is not complete till we do this. And it takes a little bit of discipline to establish a habit, even the habits of godliness. Um, but, friend, I, I'm going to say this. If you discipline yourself and establish that time with the Lord, or, you know, you, whenever you're tempted to sin, you're going to really flee to Jesus. If you will allow God to help you establish habits of holiness, it truly does become a joy, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. It really does. So if there's listeners today that are that are thinking to themselves, mm, you know, they're talking about me. I do have this habitual sin that continues to be part of the landscape of my life, and I need to take action today. What would be a, a good first step, Alex? Well, a, a good first step with sin is to, to call sin by its right name. Yes, exactly. Uh, it's not a habit. It's not a tendency. It's not a predisposition. <laughs> I mean, sin is sin. Right. C.S. Lewis said this, that sin is treason against the Most High God. And I'm just going to say this. I think one of the most predominant sins probably in uh, the church today is probably pornography. And um, Bill, I had the privilege yesterday of spending a couple hours with um, the head chaplain of a very, very large military base. And uh, they ask us to do one of our Truth for a New Generation conferences late next year, which we are very honored to do, to be invited to a major military base. But he, I said, among your Christian soldiers, you know, your soldiers who are Christians, what's the big prayer request? He said, oh, pornography. It's wow. just decimating the church. And so that may be a sin. Friend, um, Jesus knows what's in your browser. I mean, you know, he knows what's in your phone history. Um, it, look, one of the ways to know where we need to go as a saint and what we need to turn from as a sinner is by being in the Word of God. And it could be envy, it could be unforgiveness, it could be anger, it could be doubt. Maybe you're not believing God for this or that. But I want to tell you, more than ever, I think we need a church that is cleansed, filled, empowered, we need the church to be the church because uh, the salvation of lost people depends on it. And our Lord has given us uh, very clear directives for what he expects his followers to do. Mm -hmm. Alex, when uh, Paul says in Ephesians 4, and I read it earlier at the top of the hour, having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. That verse um, is a is a hard one to read because it sounds like they've been they've been given over. How do we get them back? Well, you know, I, I think it might be uh, prayer and intercession. Okay, even fasting and prayer, friend. If you're trying to break loose or be set free from something that has you bound, um, confess it, admit it, throw yourself on the the help of Jesus, but but fast and pray. Uh, the Bible says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. The problem is, a lot of times we don't resist him. We uh, link arms with him. Mm. We, we've got to, as Paul said, mortify the flesh and resist the devil. I like that. Dr. Alex McFarland is my guest. We're going to take a short break and we'll be right back with lots more.
Welcome back to the program. Alex McFarlane is my guest. Who's that playing the guitar, Alex? Do you know, I was just racking my brain. I was thinking, oh, man, that's you pick such good bumper music, Bill. <laughs> I never so, fool you. Listen, the quiz master has stumped me today. Okay. Who was it? Uh, George Harrison. Really? Yeah, that song is called Wawa. Well, you know, you're right. You're, and, and I here, I've got the three album set concert for Bangladesh. Yeah, that's it. He, it's in there. That, yeah. Wow. Well, uh, points for you today, my friend. You stumped me. <laughs> Thanks. Well, I didn't I didn't try to. That's for sure. And you're a hard person to stump. All right. I want to get back to uh, this topic of habitual sin, because we are going to suffer loss of intimacy with God. We are going to probably end up with a pretty weak, anemic prayer life, aren't we? Yeah, we are. We are. And, uh, you know, by the way, let me just say to the men listening, according to First Peter chapter 5, um, how we treat our spouse will impact our, the power of our prayer life, too. It says, husbands, dwell with your wives according to knowledge, um, showing deference to the weaker vessel. Boy, I know that um, the New Testament, the roles of men and women, uh, the way the Bible spells it out, surely isn't politically correct nowadays, but it's you know, scripturally correct, but um, it says, husbands, you know, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Christ laid down his life for the church. We are to lay down our life for our wives. It says, listen, that your prayers be not hindered. Mm. Um, early in our married life, uh, my wife and I had words one night, you know, I was thinking, wow, you know, I'm the husband, I'm the head of the house, yada, yada, yada. <laughs> How'd that go over? Uh, well, I had some growing up to do. <laughs> And then I read that, that your prayers be not hindered. And I, I was like, whoa. I got on my knees. I was like, Lord, I am sorry. And I told my wife, and I uh, have to confess over 30 years of marriage, I've had to say this a few times, but I said, look, um, Christ laid down his life for his bride. As a, as a man of God, I am to lay down my life for my bride. And guys, let me just say this. Um, to to understand your role as you know, you're serving your spouse. It, it's a joy, and it is empowering. And um, we need a powerful prayer life. We as husbands and, and men, we need to make sure that there's nothing obstructing the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And I don't know, Bill, I guess we're such an affluent culture here in the West. You know, I mean, we, unless we're just in a dire strait, uh, I, I think we really don't think we need God that much, but mm, but in so reality true. we do need God, don't we? We need the we need the channels of heaven absolutely clear and open so God can work to maximal degree in our lives. Mm -hmm. I was troubled by that expression, a hardening of heart, and I know that there can be a callousness from time to time with all of us. We can develop a callous in a certain area, and all of a sudden it's a little bit tougher for us to be reached in that area. Um, and that can be a problem, too. Uh, we're going to have a harder time maybe even recognizing the Holy Spirit's voice in our lives when we've got callousness. I'd love for you to say yeah. something about that. Well, you know, uh, Acts chapter 7 talks about being stiff-necked, <clears throat> you know, stubborn, resistant. Um, I, it, there's something so beautiful about a Christian that's, that's malleable in the hands of God. And uh, please don't, you know, as we talk about these things about Christian growth and letting God have control, Bill, you know, please don't hear me up on some high horse like I've got it all together. You know, it, it's it's a daily pursuit. 
Oswald Chambers, in that very famous book, My Utmost for His Highest, which, by the way, is a great devotional book, but he said every day we must vigilantly pursue God. Every day we must vigilantly maintain God's perspective. Um, it, it's intentionality, and we will we will invest in the things that we prioritize. I mean, whether it's your job or a hobby or whatever, um, if if Jesus really is the priority, it will begin to show in our lives. Conversely, if we if Jesus is not the priority, and if we neglect our growth and we neglect the obedience to the Lord, that too will show, won't it? Mm-hmm. Funny you brought up Oswald Chambers. I had a listener send me a um, a piece of my utmost for his highest, and wanted some clarification from one of my. Bible scholars, seeing how I've got you on the line, and we've talked about uh, Oswald Chambers. This came from Romans 5.10, if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. That's Romans 5.10. And Chambers says, I am not saved by believing. I simply realize I am saved by believing. And it is not repentance that saves me. Repentance is only the sign that I realize what God has done through Christ Jesus. Yeah. Um, let me just say this. Um, Norm Geisler was a great scholar. He passed away in the summer of 2019. And Norm would say that, and great apologist, many will know that name, G-E-I-S-L-E-R, Norman Geisler. He said, uh, one book I read to believe, all others I read to consider. <laughs> uh, that's the, such a great the, line. That's a great line. The, yeah, the Bible, great... we read to believe. All other books, even, you know, even C.S. Lewis. I mean, I revere C.S. Lewis. I love C.S. Lewis. Lewis said some things that I was like, nah, not so sure about that. You know, not that many times. But um, in that, in the Oswald Chambers statement, you know, I'm not saved by believing. In a way, I think it it's a little bit of semantics. I think so, too. Uh, yeah, I mean, Oswald Chambers clearly was a believer. I mean, he died at a, a young age and was, even though, I think he died at like he was like 28 or something, a very young age, but, you know, 100 years later, still his stand for Christ so inspiring and left a lasting legacy. You know, there, even to this day, people quibble over, you know, is it faith or works? And, you know, Ephesians 2, 8 and 10, for by grace are you saved through faith, not of works that any man should boast. And so some people will say, oh, yeah, but to positively believe in Jesus, that is, quote, a work. Well, okay. We know we don't earn our salvation. It's not like God says, do 50 push-ups and you'll go to heaven. You know, we don't earn our salvation. Uh, we respond to the message of the gospel. Uh, you can call it believe. You can call it faith. You can call it trust. You can say we respond. So to um, the, the Chambers quote there, you know, Romans 5.10, we are reconciled to God through Jesus' death on the cross, through what he did on the cross. And much more, having been reconciled, we are saved in him. So uh, how does it happen? Um, God regenerates us, 
or we exercise faith, which is it? The answer is yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and of it course... It's both, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it is. And I'm not reading the whole Chambers devotion, so I, I apologize to my listeners. But Chambers goes on to say, the salvation that comes from God is not based on human logic, but on the sacrificial death of Jesus. And he talks True. about we're born again uh, because of what Jesus did and what he did on the cross. Yeah. And, and you know, sometimes, and, and I love to read, and I know you do too, and that's I, one of the reasons it's it's very enriching to talk with you every other week, Bill, is because I know half the time when you and I are on, we're discussing books we've read back and forth. Sometimes even the best of communicators says things in less than ideal language. Of course. And it's it's not heresy. You You know the people well enough to know, I know this guy's not trying to mislead people. Maybe it just uh, was said in a less than ideal way. But that's why, folks, look, whatever you're, if you're reading Oswald Chambers, if you're reading Augustine, or if you're reading your most favorite Bible teacher nowadays, make sure everything squares up by the Word of God. I mean, the, the Word of God is the flawless, perfect, original by which we measure every other thing. Mm-hmm. Alex, we have exactly two minutes left, and I'm going to ask you um, how we take a bad habit and replace it with a good one, because that, that will help with the habitual sin issue. Oh, great question, great question. You know, one of my favorite scriptures, and by the way, um, we, you and I never prep beforehand. This is, <laughs> we don't. <laughs> it's always, you know, just extemporaneous, but Philippians 4, 8, I had a teacher in grad school, just one of the greatest guys ever, Dr. Gary Habermas. And he's kind of the world expert on the resurrection, not kind of. I mean, he really is. Very godly man. And probably the verse that he would drill into us the most was Philippians 4.8, which very famously Mm -hmm. says, if anything is good and true and noble and praiseworthy, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. And Habermas would tell us, he said, look, the implication is think on these things instead of other things. So uh, because beliefs definitely inform behaviors, what we believe is true and what we believe is important, um, you know, it flows out in how we act and how we live. So for one thing, I think we've got to remember our identity is in Christ. Another thing we've got to remember is that if we're a believer, Jesus owns us. That's 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Mm -hmm. And we're a steward. But in terms of breaking a habit, you you can't just stop a thing. You you really do have to replace it with something else. Philippians four eight is a thought replacement process. Yeah, I love that. So if you so replace the bad habits with good habits, the yeah. ungodly things with godly things. We're out of time, Alex. Thank you so much for being on the program. God bless you, Bill, yeah, and God all your wonderful you. listeners too. Yeah, and we'll take a short break and be right back with Dr. Glenn Pickering. back and my special guest for the next hour is Dr. Glenn Pickering and we're going to talk today about the topic of anger. It seems like there's 
uh, so many issues. There's there's violence in the streets. There is, uh, let's see, lots of political angst. There's uh, things that happen on social media which are not very pleasant. Uh, and these all involve anger. So we want to spend some time looking at anger, maybe what some of the root causes are and why we can be kind of on short fuses at times. And then we also want to talk about what God says about uh, dealing with anger, recognizing the anger that we have in us. And maybe we can uh, even try to find distinctions between the types of anger and responses and outbursts. Maybe we've got some grudges or resentments. Uh, I think this is going to be a very interesting uh, topic to cover. Dr. Glenn Pickering is a psychologist and a uh, relationship counselor. He leads seminars, writes books. He kind of does it all. And he's with me today. Glenn, welcome back. Well, thank you for having me. Yeah. Let's jump into this topic because it's uh, going to be a busy hour. Um, Oh, wait. We got stuff to say. We do. (laughs) Maybe the first place to start is what is anger and what what is not anger? Well, great. Let's start there. I think from a godly perspective, here's what anger is. Somebody does something to us that violates one of our boundaries. So they hit us, which violates a physical boundary. Or they speak harshly with us, which violates an emotional boundary. Or they take our stuff, which violates sort of a material boundary. Or um, they violate some of our rights. I mean, they literally do something to us that's wrong. Now, and anger then gives us the energy to say, you can't do that. Instead of sort of being quiet, because we're not given a spirit of timidity, it says in the Bible, we're given the spirit of boldness. So God gives us the boldness to speak up and say, you can't do that. Which then is supposed to evoke in the other person a response of, oh, 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 you're right, you're right, you're right, that's, that's on me, I, you're right, I shouldn't have done that. They apologize, we accept the apology, and then the two of us are back in right relationship. That's the goal. It's always important to remember Anger, the actual goal, is to be back in right relationship. Mm-hmm. Now, some people get that messed up, of course, and they think the goal is to lash out or to hurt somebody else. And if we get caught up in worldly thinking, that is kind of where we go with that. But, you know, it says in Matthew 18, verse 15, verse 15 you know, if your brother has sinned against you, then go and tell just your brother or your sister, just you and them, and if they hear you, you'll have regained a brother or a sister. And it's really important to understand that's the goal, not to lash out, not to punish them, not to prove that I'm right. My goal is to be back in right relationship with my brother or sister who hurt me in some way. Mm -hmm. So it's important to remember, anger gives me the strength and the courage to speak up about those things which otherwise would divide us. So the goal is to be not divided, to be back in right relationship. So, um, you know, the literal definition of the word sin means separate. So sin is anything that separates us from God or from each other. And so if I use anger as a way of lashing out or playing tag like we've talked about on the air mm-hmm. before or making the other person feel bad about themselves, we are now separate. It's now me against you. And so many people see anger in that way, but it's wrong. Mm-hmm. The actual goal is not to be right or to place the blame or to get other people all agitated. That is sin. That separates us. The goal of anger is actually to create a reconnection between me and the person who I otherwise would have this wall between me and them physically and emotionally. Mm-hmm. And so the goal of anger is to speak up about that so that the person recognizes it, sees that, apologizes so we can be back in right relationship. The goal is to get my brother or sister back. And we have to be so clear about that. Mm-hmm. 
when something you love is being threatened, is that a time for anger? Uh, give me an example so it's not quite so abstract. Well, um, you usually get angry about when something you love is being threatened. Um, so if you are uh, protecting somebody or something is being um, ridiculed, mocked, uh, that you hold sacred and dear, right? Um, that can sometimes bring about anger. And right. is, it, is that it, righteous anger or is that Yeah, in still... the same way. What I think righteous anger is... I'm getting angry about the right situation. In other words, my self got violated in some way. Um, I'm taking the right actions, which is to speak up and say, you can't do that. Not lashing out, not putting them down, just saying you can't do that for the right reason, which is that I want to be back in right relationship with that person that I'm upset with right now. So the situation means you did something that was actually literally hurtful to me. My actions, I speak up and tell you that Literally, I will not tolerate that behavior. So that you can think, oh, golly, that's right. I'm really sorry, and we can be back in the right relationship. That's what righteous anger looks like. Now, some people think, oh, that sounds weak. And I think it's not weak to say, you can't do that. And if they apologize, it's not weak to say, okay, great, I accept my brother or sister back. Those both take discipline. Mm-hmm. The speaking up takes discipline to not sort of shut down or lash out. And the being willingness to offer them back into the right relationship takes a strength not to go into a worldly fashion of wanting to shut down or hurt them, but to be ready to be back in the right relationship. Those both take an intense, a certain spiritual maturity to pull off. Mm-hmm. How does tone play in all this? Because when you talk about anger, um, is there a way of doing it which has a tone that is a forceful but not, um, you know, right. not kind of pr- See, what provoke? I think is when we talk about tone, I get what people mean by that, but it's a little bit of a misunderstanding. See, if I say, I don't like that, I won't accept that, you were hurtful to me, that hurts, I don't want that. I'm just telling you something about me. I'm saying I have a boundary right there. Usually when people say we have a tone, it's not so much my literal tone. It's because I'm talking about them. You're bad. You're terrible. You're awful. You shouldn't do that. Why don't you know better? You will help us. How can I tell you? So if I'm actually speaking up in that godly way, I'm just saying, here's my boundary. If I'm speaking up in that harsh way, I'm making comments about them and how bad they are. Mm -hmm. And when people say that tone was hurtful, what they really mean is, that felt like an attack on me. It didn't feel to me like you were defending your boundaries. It felt like you were attacking me. And I think, yes, that will always trigger a bad response. Mm-hmm. And do we use anger sometimes, Glenn, to maintain control of a situation? Because if I get all um, uh, hot and huffy, um, I might make you a little nervous and scared. Yes. Now I can control the outcome right. or the situation. Right. And then I might get, quote, unquote, angry back because I'm anxious about how it's all going and I don't want it to go a certain direction, so I'm trying to head that off. And again, we might call that anger, but it's important to understand that's all actually based on fear. Okay. Fear of what might yeah. happen next. Fear mm-hmm. of not... Yeah. yeah. Fear of what's going to happen next. Can you comment on what what's happening physiologically? Because if your heart rate goes up and your, your adrenaline surges, uh, yeah. can you trust what's going to come out of your mouth? Absolutely not, which is why I'm going to address that in just a few minutes, I promise. But it's a great lead-in. There's been fascinating studies done that show that um, when we have adrenaline coursing through our system, the blood flow to our prefrontal cortex basically stops, which means we literally stop thinking, mm-hmm. which makes perfect <laughs> sense. Our yeah. body is wired. If we're in danger, 
to start running or fighting as fast as we can. So all of our energy goes to our muscles and the parts of our brain that move our muscles. We're literally not thinking, which means if I'm getting an argument with somebody and we get a little wound up and we both have adrenaline running through our system, we are not thinking, And which means the words that come out of my mouth and your mouth at that time are not words that we're actually choosing. Well, what are the odds that that's going to go badly? Mm-hmm. Um, when, when Paul talks in Corinthians about love that's not easily angered, right. um, wh- what does that mean? Well, what I think is this. Um, yeah, let's come back to what anger isn't, because it feeds directly okay. into that passage okay. in Corinthians, because it's perfectly related. Most people, when they say they're angry, actually aren't. Now, notice, if I'm actually angry, it's because somebody violated a boundary of mine, and I want them to stop doing it so we can go back to being friends or whatever. Most of what we call, when we get all agitated on the inside, we're not actually angry. We're being judgmental, for example. We look at somebody, we're being judgmental of them, and that creates a lot of turmoil inside of us. It feels like anger. Or we're frustrated with them because it's not going the way we want it to Mm -hmm. go. Or um, we look at them sort of... in kind of condescending way, like, well, you didn't do it my way. You didn't do that right. Or maybe we get all harsh and judgmental with somebody because they made a mistake. Now, all those create in us a turmoil that we might think is anger. And remember, anger means you did something to me. I tell you, you can't do that. And you apologize. But see, if the turmoil that's happening inside me is actually from my judgment, my condemnation, my frustration, my thinking you shouldn't be that way, the one who needs to apologize is me. Because nobody's actually doing anything to me. I'm actually being really harsh or judgmental or mean-spirited to somebody else. And I need to stop, ask God to help me remember who I'm actually talking to. Because I'm talking to my spouse, my friend, my colleague, who knows what. And I get all judgmental about them and harsh. I'm not even seeing them as a person. I'm just seeing them as a problem they're causing in my life, right? <laughs> yeah, and right. their humanity goes out the window. And totally. I need to come back and just pray and have God remind me how precious this person is to God, how precious this person actually is to me, how much they deserve me to love Oof. them and not be judgmental of them. And I need God to help me reset my brain. So anger means you've hurt me and I stand up for myself. So you apologize. We go back in the right relationship. Yeah. Judgment and frustration and irritation means I need to stop Ask God to help me see you for who you actually are and, and apologize to you for forgetting just for a second who you actually are. Can your brain calculate that in a um, fast amount of time? Yes. Okay. But it takes a couple seconds, which is why if you ever see me get agitated about anything, you're going to see me do this. Nodding my head, thinking I'm praying to God for a better answer, which again, we'll talk about just being a second responder. A bit, huh? And just think, no, no, I want to slow down long to make sure yeah. that the words I say are the words that I actually want to say. Yeah, I like that. So Paul says in Ephesians, in your anger, do not sin. Right. So how do we express our anger, our anger in non-sinful, constructive ways? Thanks. I think if you remember, um, we talked before about how if I'm going to talk in a right way about anger, I'm going to talk about what happened to me why that was hurtful to me, and how I would like us to do that instead. And you notice everything I'm saying is about me. The wrong way, if we play tag, is everything I say once I get angry is about you. Yeah. There's and that big will distinction just put there, fuel there? on that fire and off we go. And now we're having one of those escalating conversations that later on we'll both think, what happened? That was awful. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I want to open up the uh, 
text line today yes, for, yeah, for questions. Love that. Maybe there's a, a situation with a relationship you have where there's a lot of anger involved and you can't seem to figure out why this anger doesn't go away and why it keeps cropping up and why it's, it's such a destructive tool that doesn't seem to be um, bringing your relationship back into a right place. Right. And you've got a question Great. for uh, Dr. Glenn Pickering. Let me know what it is. You can send the question uh, on the text line to 877-933-2484. Of course, you can remain anonymous. I will not bring up your name. Again, the number is 877-933-2484. If you're more comfortable with email, you can just uh, send me the question at bill at myfaithradio.com, bill at myfaithradio.com. We'll take a short break and be right back. have Dr. Glenn Pickering with me today. We're chatting about uh, a very difficult subject of anger, and I want to get back to uh, Glenn, how we uh, doing anger the right way is transformational. Thank you. Yeah. Um, We talked just before the break about expressing anger in the right way. I'm just saying, here's what happened to me. Here's why I didn't like that. Here's what I want to do instead. So that the other person's like, oh, oh, that's a good point. And we can be back in the right relationship. Now, it's important to notice God is always about the business of transformation, always, relentlessly. People talk about justification, which is transformation in its own right, but then we spend the rest of our life working on sanctification, which is to be transformed more and more and more deeply inside of our own self from the inside out. So God is always in the transformation business. So it's important to understand. Let's say there's somebody in my life who has treated me in the past in a way I feel like is condescending or harsh or violates the boundary of mine in some way. Our relationship is going to slowly deteriorate over time, and there'll be more and more distance, and we'll more and more be in wrong relationship. If I do anger right and speak up, tell the person why I don't like that, and they're able to hear it and think, you know, that's a really good point. Glad I'm going to start working on that. And we're back in right relationship. See, that transformed that relationship. It didn't change a little bit. It just changed that relationship from the inside out. And now that relationship, instead of getting further and further apart, more and more distant, more and more bitter, is going to get closer and closer and more and more connected. That's what God is always about. God is always working on helping us have closer relationships with him and with one another. So transformation just means I get better and better connecting to other people and or to God. Mm-hmm. That's what trans- when I'm being transformed from the inside out in that sanctification process, that's what's happening. So if we do anger right, it's transformational that it literally brings me and you closer than we were before that. And on a path, a trajectory that's now different. Mm-hmm. All right, Glenn, did you bring your A-game today? Because i got some serious questions here. Let's hear you. Come on. All right, here's one. Here's a question, <laughs> a question for Glenn. How do you deal with a loved one who is a narcissist, manic, bipolar, that is dealing with anger towards the family? She put out a group email today telling everyone that she didn't want to have anything to do with them because of political differences. Um, that's a really great question and not an easy one, obviously. Of course not. Nobody ever calls me up with easy questions, but why is that? Well, the, the narcissistic manic bipolar sounds like there's medication that's needed as well. Well, it's sure possible. That's uh, yes, Mm -hmm. absolutely. Step one. Yeah. Um, but here's what I think when we're with a person like that, who's so intense, 
and harsh or judgmental or lashing out like that. If we're not careful, we will do one of two worldly things. We'll either shut down as a way to protect ourselves or we'll lash back out at them basically also to protect ourselves. The challenge is to think this. I'm going to love you exactly the same today as I did yesterday. I'm not going to let your response change the way that I think of you, treat you, or act towards you, period. So the challenge is to think, um, how can I say? If I'm on a godly path, my task is to stay on that path pretty much no matter what. And if I'm nice to somebody and they're harsh back, it doesn't matter. I'm going to try and be good to them the next time I see them. Because otherwise, that's, that's why Jesus said, you know, if somebody strikes you on the one cheek, turn the other cheek. And people have given all kinds of um, interpretations of that because it's not exactly an easy one to understand. Mm-hmm. But what he's saying is don't let somebody else's weirdness affect you. <laughs> like, yeah. I used to be a director of a counseling center, and every Friday we'd have our staff meeting in the morning, and every Friday afternoon, one of the people there, I'll call him Larry, because I, well, anyway, I'll call him that. And um, he would storm into my office sometime in the afternoon and be all mad about something that happened in the staff meeting. And at first, I'd get all agitated and upset back. And that happened for a number of weeks in a row. And finally, I thought, I was having a great day before Larry came into my office. Mm-hmm. And I let him have me have a bad day for the rest of that day. That's crazy. Yeah. That's I could on be you, at, isn't it? Yeah, I could be mad at him or I could think, why am I letting him decide my emotional state. Mm-hmm. I'm giving him all the power over my life. Maybe that's what he wanted to do, though, uh, hijack you. Exactly. So next time he came into my office, sure thing, Friday, just like ours, Glenn, I can't believe that you said blah, blah, blah. I said, okay, well, what do you think we should have done instead? Oh, I, I, I don't know. Okay, well, give that some thought. If you want to talk to me about that again on Monday, I'd be sure glad to hear your thoughts about that. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. So instead of letting his sort of emotional overreaction throw me off base, I realize, no, my goal is to not get thrown off base by that. My goal is to not be, lose track of my own self. Mm-hmm. So if I have somebody in my life who's um, really, really just extremely troubled, like this person clearly is, that's a really big challenge. And I'm probably going to have to pray every day to help God remind me this is a person I love, this is a person I care for, I want to treat them with respect every time I react to them. And if they say, you can't talk to me because of politics, blah, 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 I'm going to gently say, okay, I understand. I'll still be praying for you. I still want good for you, but I promise I won't talk to you about politics. Because if I didn't let them determine my state, mm-hmm. that's what I'd write back. Yeah, but it sounds like uh, the group email has gone out today. Yep. That she doesn't want anything to do with anybody anymore because exactly. of the political differences. So now, it's like, like she's exited stage left. Right. Notice what I said. I didn't. You <laughs> I didn't was what? Exit stage left. <laughs> okay. Right? I will still pray for you, of course. I will still want good for you. And I'll make a point not to talk to politi- about you with politics, assuming that the relationship's not over. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to let her make up, or him or her mess up my emotional state. I'm also not going to let them decide we don't have a relationship, because we do. Yeah. Okay, another listener um, okay. wants to know that Jesus, um, when his accusers would confront him and they would wrongly accuse him, um, how do we follow the example that Jesus uh, would have when he would, when he would just be so kind and loving most of the time, right? For all and the time. Honestly, it's the same thing. I, um, 
I just got wrongly accused of something the other day, and I saw so it's interesting that somebody wrote in about this because it just happened to me. And I could sort of feel myself wanting to defend myself or explain it, and then I thought, Jesus told us this would happen. Jesus told us that this would happen. Now, the fact that it was happening at the hands of some people who call themselves Christians was particularly difficult to deal with, but I, always, I really did think to myself, Jesus said this would happen. And so, again, I just think, so I just want to come back to, I don't want to get all defensive, I don't want to get thrown off, I just want to come back to my own self. So, um, so when, and I had that thought, so when this person said, well, Glenn, I heard blah, 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 I just said, yes, no matter who you are, there are people who talk badly about you. Jesus told us that would happen. And I'm kind of done with that topic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she also added in the um, Jesus's words when he tells us to turn the other cheek. Mm-hmm. I know you'd mentioned that earlier. Right. Don't and, let that throw you off. You need to make sure you stay the same. Because I just think at the end of the day, when me and God have my little prayer time at the end, sort of evaluating my day, I noticed he never asked me, Glenn, what did anybody else do? Or how did things turn out? just ask basically that you do what I asked you to do. Keep you it the simple. person. Yeah, were you the person I asked you to be? Right. Mm-hmm, yeah. So it's our job to not sort of be thrown off. And if somebody praises me and says, Glenn, you're so great, you're so wonderful, I need to remember, thank you. I love the praise. Thank you for the support. And I'm still exactly the same human being I was before that. Mm-hmm. Which, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I right. don't want that to think, okay, now I'm better than I thought I was. No, I. that's not true either. I'm still exactly who I was. Yeah. And... <laughs> To not yeah. get through thrown off either way. Yeah. And because we're talking about anger today, I do assume that some of the questions that are coming in have anger underneath all of this, right? Yeah. So this question is, and there might be anger attached to this, how do you accept the reality that my husband is lazy? Okay, great. Let's start there. Remember I said, one of the things we confuse with anger which just means somebody violated my boundary. One of the things we confuse with anger is our own tendency to be judgmental. And we can get ourselves in turmoil because we're judging them. Now, the Bible says over and over again about how we're not supposed to judge other people. And I get more and more about how, and yes, because I don't want to judge other people because that's bad for them. But mostly I think the Bible tells me not to judge other people because it's bad for me. It puts me in turmoil. It gets me all upset. It gets me with adrenaline coursing through my body. It makes me not the person I want to be. Mm-hmm. So why am I not supposed to judge? Because I literally lose sight of myself. And so once again, if I have that judgmental thought, and this happens a lot to me, um, I think to myself, this thought is not helpful to me. I stop and say that sentence, and then I ask God to help me see that person in a different light, like the light of his love. And because um, I get the solution is not to help make, force them to quit being lazy. The solution for me as a Christian is for me to quit judging them. I like that. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, had a nice uh, email coming from a listener. Our adult daughter said some harsh things to me two years ago that hurt me deeply. I do everything I possibly can for her and our grandkids. I cried all the way home after she blew up at me. I prayed about this every day. I leaned on Jesus, and he took away the deep pain from my heart. I never lashed back at my daughter. This is interesting, Glenn. She said, because I'm afraid she would ban the children from me. 
Well, two weeks after the incident, she said she may have overreacted. I let it go at that. Jesus comforted me, and I felt his protection. I'm very careful around our daughter. I don't ever want any problems. I pray for our grandkids. Right. What about when uh, when grandkids become uh, a part of the equation? Like you get mad at me or do something I don't like, and I might ban the grandkids. Yep. And um, and again, I might say, oh, I did that because I'm mad. But I think, no, I did that because I've been vengeful. That's not the same thing either. Okay, I think we're going to have to probably pick uh-huh. that up after the uh, okay. after the uh, ne- top of the hour. Okay, Glenn's going to be with me for the next thirty minutes. So bring your questions. You can send them over uh, in a text form at eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four. And we will be back. You can also email me, Bill at myfaithradio.com. Dr. Glenn Pickering is my guest. Go to glennpickering.com, G-L-E-N-N-P-I-C-K-E-R-I-N-G, Glenn Pickering. He offers this really lovely uh, offer. So good, Glenn? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you go about midway down the first page, and you can fill out a form, and there's no strings attached, and he'll talk to you for 20 minutes free of charge. You can get a lot out of Glenn in 20 minutes. I promise. will be right back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.